Hey there, this is Devin from Legal Eagle. You're smart. And I know that you're smart because you're listening to this podcast. But if you want even more incredible, educational-ish content from me and my friends, then you've got to get Nebula. Because in addition to offering tons of terrific podcasts ad-free, Nebula is a place where my friends and I get to release tons of experimental and exclusive content that you can't find anywhere else. Plus, all of my videos are ad-free. Just head to watchnebula.com slash radio to sign up now. President Biden just announced a sweeping vaccine mandate that will be enforced by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA. He also issued an even stricter executive order requiring all federal employees and federal contractors to get vaccinated. Is that legal? So let's first talk about the federal employees and contractors. President Biden signed a new executive order mandating that all federal employees and contractors get vaccinated against COVID-19, with no exceptions for those who agree to regular testing for the virus. President Biden's vaccine mandates are actually a series of executive orders, and executive orders don't actually control the citizens. That's uh, exclusively up to laws of Congress. What an executive order does is it orders the federal agencies, because uh, the president is the head executive, and effectively tells them to do something so long as that executive order doesn't conflict with the laws that Congress passes. This isn't the first time that President Biden has made an executive order related to COVID, or is it the first time that he's used the mechanism of ordering OSHA to do something? Back in July, the president ordered healthcare providers to provide training, ventilation, and PPE to their healthcare workers. However, under that executive order, every federal agency was responsible for setting up their own procedures and testing protocols. That led to a complicated situation where different rules applied in different agencies. The agencies also expressed frustration with implementing a routine testing regime. Public-facing healthcare agencies such as Veteran Affairs and Health and Human Services had already mandated that their frontline health workers be vaccinated, with exceptions only for those who require religious or health-based accommodations. At the VA, employees have until October to be fully vaccinated. Meanwhile, after the FDA gave full approval to the Pfizer vaccine, the Defense Department announced it would require all service members to get vaccinated. And that's not surprising, as the federal government had generally avoided mandating vaccines that had only been authorized for temporary use. But Biden's executive order gives the White House Safer Federal Workforce Task Force seven days to issue new guidance on how agencies should implement the new vaccine mandate. Biden Press Secretary Jen Psaki said employees will have 75 days to get fully vaccinated or apply for a religious or medical exemption before they will be deemed out of compliance with the order. Under the prior executive order, each agency would decide whether to require employees to provide proof of their vaccination status or they could simply attest that they had received it. Psaki said that under the new order, agencies can continue to make their own decision about whether to use the honor system. The Biden administration also said there will be limited disability and religious exceptions to the federal employee vaccine requirement. All other employees and contractors will face termination if they don't get vaccinated. Now, this one is pretty easy from a legal standpoint. Presidents receive wide latitude in dealing with federal contractors because they're basically just acting as part of an arm's length agreement. And to the extent that there are rules, and there aren't that many, those are governed by the Procurement Act that was passed in the 1940s. And under that act, the standard is pretty low. The president can't create a rule that's just meant to meddle with the internal affairs of the federal contractor. The president just needs to show that the action is somehow necessary for a federal benefit. And here the benefit is pretty obvious. If you demand that your contractors get vaccinated, the members of the federal government are less likely to be infected. Though perhaps that's not the case with absolutely every single federal contractor. Maybe there are some that don't interact with federal employees and then the federal benefit becomes more and more tenuous. But for the most part, the president is going to win these battles against federal contractors if they dispute this mandate. Here, President Biden's order will be implemented by the General Services Administration or GSA, as well as the Office of Personal Management, the OP. 
OPM. And normally when a federal employee is subject to discipline, they go before a board in front of the OPM. Here, uh, if they are going to refuse the order, that might be considered insubordination and that might create uh, good cause for them to be disciplined or terminated by that board. But now let's talk about the much more controversial OSHA rule. OSHA, which is a division of the Department of Labor, monitors work conditions for private sector employees. President Biden told the agency to draft a rule requiring all employers with at least 100 employees to make sure their workforce is fully vaccinated or require unvaccinated workers to get a negative test at least once a week. OSHA's mandate is to regulate the safety and health of American workers. And under the guidance given to OSHA, large businesses must provide paid time off for their employees to receive the free vaccinations and for any necessary post-vaccine recuperation. Companies that fail to comply could face fines of $14,000 per violation. So let's talk about the legality of this particular law, or in particular, this executive order. When people talk about the constitutionality of a law, this generally refers to two very different things. The first is whether the constitution prohibits that action. So say, for example, you wanted to wear a t-shirt that says, the draft to a courthouse. But a police officer arrests you under a statute that prohibits maliciously and willfully disturbing the peace and quiet of any neighborhood or person by offensive conduct. Well, you might have heard of the First Amendment, and it turns out that the First Amendment prevents punishment for that kind of speech. Those are actually the exact facts of Cohen versus California. And the Constitution prevented that law from punishing speech. But the second question is whether the Constitution allows and grants that power to the federal government. The US is a system of dual sovereignty. Both the states and the federal government are sovereign, and the Constitution only imparts limited powers to the federal government. Generally, the state's police powers are much more expansive than the federal government's. Though over time, the Supreme Court has generally looked to clauses such as the Commerce Clause to find that Congress has pretty extensive powers itself. So let's answer both of those questions about this particular vaccine mandate. So does the Constitution prohibit making vaccines mandatory? And the answer is no, the Constitution doesn't actually prohibit such vaccine mandates. And the landmark case on this is called Jacobson versus Massachusetts. During a smallpox outbreak in Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1902, the state of Massachusetts introduced an ordinance requiring all adults to be vaccinated or revaccinated against smallpox. The penalty for non-compliance was a $5 fine. A man named Jacobson refused the vaccine, saying it violated his liberty. Now, states generally have the right to regulate the health, safety, welfare, and morals of its citizens. These are known as police powers. However, these powers have been balanced with individual liberty interests. And the question before the Supreme Court was whether the 14th Amendment's due process clause allowed a person the liberty of refusing vaccination. The Constitution protects individual liberty, but liberty is not, quote, an absolute right in each person to be in all times and in all circumstances wholly free from restraint. Quote, the rights of the individual may at times under the pressure of great dangers be subjected to such restraint to be enforced by reasonable regulations as the safety of the general public may demand. So the Constitution gives you freedom, but not the freedom to do whatever you want, whenever you want, no matter what. And the key factor in the Jacobson case was the danger of the smallpox outbreak. Quote, the state legislature proceeded upon the theory which recognized vaccination as at least an effective, if not the best known way in which to meet and suppress the evils of a smallpox epidemic. Jacobson was decided in 1905 when infectious diseases were the leading cause of death. At the time, the federal government didn't regulate medicine or food and the public health officials didn't have many tools to prevent the spread of disease. A smallpox vaccine was a potent weapon against a deadly outbreak. So the court didn't believe that the state had overstepped its bounds to require vaccination to stop smallpox. Though 
the Supreme Court's Jacobson decision didn't necessarily give the government the right to compel vaccinations in all circumstances. Quote, we are not inclined to hold that the statute establishes an absolute right that an adult must be vaccinated if it be apparent or can be shown with reasonable certainty that he is not at the time a fit subject of vaccination or that vaccination by reason of his then condition would seriously impair his health or probably cause his death. But generally speaking, according to the Supreme Court's jurisprudence, the Constitution doesn't prohibit states or the federal government from mandating vaccines. But let's answer the second question. Does the federal government and President Biden specifically have the power to compel vaccinations through OSHA? The president's authority over OSHA is different than his authority over executive branch public employees and contractors. Congress has the power to make laws, and that means that Congress alone can regulate workplace safety. But this is a very big job. So in 1970, Congress delegated much of its lawmaking function to a federal agency. This is actually pretty common. The idea is that the executive is able to act more quickly than Congress. And of course, Congress can always take the delegated power back. This is pretty common and we've actually seen similar things before. For example, when President Trump used emergency powers to levy tariffs on a number of US imports. Those powers were delegated to the president in the International Emergency Economic Powers Act or IEPA. And I believe some of those tariffs are actually still in effect years later. And with respect to OSHA, President Richard Nixon and a bipartisan Congress enacted the Occupational Safety and Health Act, which authorizes the the Secretary of Labor to create and enforce workplace safety standards. And it also contains a general duty clause which requires employers to provide workplaces that are free of potentially harmful hazards. With the act, Congress delegated most of its power to regulate the workplace to the federal executive agency, OSHA. OSHA enforces its standards and general duty clause through inspections, citations, and penalties. Now, OSHA's general mandate is to make sure that employers prevent any kind of recognized harm likely to cause serious physical injury to workers in the workplace. And under that mandate, you could imagine that OSHA took the position that COVID is likely to cause serious physical harm to employees. And even without President Biden doing anything, they could be launching actions against firms that refuse to vaccinate under the idea that they're causing uh, potentially dangerous workplaces. That's in the absence of any executive orders. Employers can seek review of OSHA enforcement actions first with the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission, and then with the US Courts of Appeal. So taking the first part first, can Congress really delegate its legislative legislative authority to the executive branch? Well, the answer is yes. The Supreme Court ruled in J.W. Hampton Jr. and Co. versus United States that yes, such broad delegations are permissible under the Constitution. As long as Congress gives the agencies a quote, intelligible principle on which to base their regulations, the delegation will not be considered unconstitutional. However, this idea is not without its own controversy. At the turn of the century, prior to that case, the non-delegation doctrine was a principle in administrative law that Congress cannot delegate its legislative powers to other entities. So for example, in the ALA Schechter Poultry case, which is a case you spend a lot of time on in law school, the Supreme Court held that Congress is not permitted to abdicate or to transfer to others the essential legislative functions with which it is thus vested. The Supreme Court has essentially backed away from this line of thinking though. And a related issue known by anyone who has ever sued an agency of the federal government is known as the Chevron Doctrine or the Chevron Defense. Now that defense, also known as Chevron Deference, is an administrative law principle that compels federal courts to defer to a federal agency agency's interpretation of an ambiguous or unclear statute that Congress has delegated to the agency to administer. The principle derives its name from the 1984 Supreme Court case Chevron versus the Natural Resources Defense Council. Now, some Republicans have been highly critical of Chevron deference, and Donald Trump stated repeatedly that he would appoint judges who would overturn the doctrine giving federal agencies less regulatory power. And the Supreme Court's conservative majority has expressed a desire to reinvigorate the Schechter poultry analysis and curtail the federal administrative 
state. It's conceivable that they might use that sort of analysis against the Biden vaccine order and potentially unwind a lot of OSHA as a blow to the regulatory state. But as of right now, we can't say for certain what the outcome would be. But that's pure speculation. Under current Supreme Court jurisprudence, OSHA is clearly constitutional and this order likely is as well. The Commerce Clause gives an agency operating under delegated congressional authority the power to issue a mandate that would be legally sound as long as it's structured as a requirement on entities in interstate commerce or something that would affect interstate commerce. That's probably why this order is directed only at businesses of 100 people or more. Businesses of that size clearly implicate interstate transport and commerce. And parenthetically, that's often why you see a lot of old federal laws regarding crossing state lines. And so the law is constitutional and the federal government has authority. And there's already precedent giving OSHA the power to issue emergency temporary regulations. OSHA was created to protect workers from injury and illness and these particular orders are aimed at stopping the spread of a disease that has killed millions worldwide. And OSHA will now have to engage in the public rulemaking process, which is governed by the Administrative Procedure Act or APA. And here's a flowchart showing how complicated that process can be. And if you're thinking that this could take a really, really long time, you're absolutely correct. It usually takes OSHA an average of 10 years to develop and promulgate a health or safety standard. There are exceptions, however. The one being used here is that under certain limited conditions, OSHA is authorized to set emergency temporary standards that take effect immediately and are in effect until superseded by a permanent standard. These aren't governed by the APA. So when does that apply? Well, when OSHA determines, quote, that workers are in grave danger due to exposure to toxic substances or agents determined to be toxic or physically harmful or to new hazards that an emergency standard is needed to protect them. And it seems like protecting workers from COVID-19 meets that standard. However, OSHA's power is not unlimited. For example, OSHA is precluded from duplicating worker safety efforts in areas already regulated by other agencies. And the act also allows states to control occupational safety and health regulations through state plans. Emergency temporary standards or ETSs only last for six months and they allow the executive to bypass the normal commenting period required for rulemaking under the APA. Now you can imagine that once OSHA publishes these emergency temporary standards, an employer who took issue with these ETSs might argue that they're not necessary to prevent a grave danger in the workplace, which is the standard you need to pass an ETS. The argument would be that most employees are already vaccinated and if you're vaccinated, the chance of a breakthrough infection are incredibly rare. And then number two, if we're just dealing with the unvaccinated, there are other ways of mitigating the risk. They can wear PPE, they can socially distance. And so uh, because those other measures are in place, they don't need this vaccine mandate. There's already things uh, done to, to mitigate the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. So you can imagine that the Biden administration is going to make their case as persuasively as possible when they pass these emergency temporary standards. And one has to think that uh, a global pandemic is probably a pretty good excuse to prevent this grave danger from permeating throughout the entire American workforce. So how will OSHA proceed here? Well, the agency will publish the emergency temporary standard in the federal register. It is then subject to the usual procedure for adopting a permanent standard, except that a final ruling should be made within six months. The validity of an emergency temporary standard may be challenged in an appropriate US Court of Appeals. This will of course be challenged in those courts. And it won't be a walk in the park. Courts have applied more scrutiny to OSHA's emergency decrees than its regularly promulgated rules. Of the nine times OSHA used its emergency powers, three went unchallenged, but of the six that went to court, only one instance was fully upheld. All of the others were either stayed or vacated by the courts. So let's talk about some of the potential problems of this OSHA rule. Some 
Some argue that what President Biden has done violates the Federal Labor Relations Act, arguing that these are the kind of things that are subject to collective bargaining between the federal government and federal employee unions. However, it's often the case that matters of public safety are not things that are subject to a collective bargaining agreement, and that may be the case here. Right on cue, the Republican National Committee has announced that it will sue the Biden administration to protect the liberty interests of Americans who don't want to be vaccinated. This lawsuit might challenge several things, whether OSHA has the power to implement this rule, whether the mandate could be found to be discriminatory, or whether it denied due process to people who were already immune. Now, some of those arguments seem to be precluded by the Jacobson case, but as to whether OSHA is the proper federal entity to enforce such a mandate, well, OSHA has been around for over 50 years and it's withstood constitutional scrutiny during that time. It's possible the court might change its mind, uh, but that would take a complete reworking of the, the Supreme Court's current jurisprudence, and it would really alter the nature of power in the federal government. And as many have pointed out, this OSHA regulation isn't actually a vaccine mandate. If a private sector worker has a disability and can't take the vaccine, they can take a COVID test and may be able to opt out of the test as well. And given the severity of the pandemic, if ever there were a time for workplace protecting emergency powers, you would think it would be during a global pandemic. Oh, and one last thing. I know right now you're probably fumbling with your phone trying to find the next podcast to listen to, but you can't because this is an ad. But it doesn't have to be that way. Instead, you can go to watchnebula.com slash radio. You can get access to all of our original podcasts ad-free, plus exclusive originals and experimental shows from your favorite educational-ish creators. And best of all, you're helping to support us make even more amazing content. So before you go, check out watchnebula.com slash radio to support this channel and this podcast directly.